1: Hey everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on The Best MSU Basketball Podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here, and we're going to do another little recruiting update since, well, things just keep changing the recruiting stand, uh, standpoint. And also, we'll talk a little bit about the schedule and the gauntlet, I guess we'll talk about for Michigan State to go through. So, Rod, how are you doing today?
0: Good, good. Yeah, uh, they they announced um, the half of the, well, it's not half of the bracket, rather the bracket that MSU was in as part of the PK 85 event. If you remember PK 80 from five years ago, there were two different eight team brackets that competed. And it's not like the winners face each other. It's you play three games. That's it. Um, And both brackets are loaded MSUs. It was announced today. They're facing Alabama in the first game. And then the other three games feature North Carolina and Portland, so UNC really got a break uh, by playing Portland, (laughs) who's a lower-level D1 program. Villanova against Iowa State and UConn against Oregon. So I presume Michigan State will face either UConn or Oregon, depending upon what happens in their game and and the other game. uh, In the second round, and then obviously the, the third and final game would be dependent upon a lot of things. But that's a pretty good feel. You know, North Carolina is certainly seen as a uh, potential number one team in terms of the rankings. I don't know that they will be uh, in preseason, but they'll be very close to that. And just to refresh people's memory, North Carolina was a team that really struggled all year in their first season under Hubert Davis, but got it to quote Jim Comperoni, a line he's used often about Michigan State. Uh, They got their shit together or their crap together is specifically the line he uses. And um, in just in time for the, for the NCAA tournament and went on a run all the way to the national title game before falling to Kansas. Uh, And they bring a lot of guys back and they've added a good recruiting class, et cetera. So Carolina almost certainly rates as the favorite in this, in this particular bracket. But it's interesting. You know, Villanova, the first year of the post-Jay Wright era, so and they lost some key guys, still a lot of talent there. Iowa State coming off a Sweet 16 season. Um, UConn, a team Michigan State, saw last year. Gradually, I think, building back under Danny Hurley. Um, Oregon, Dana Altman usually has – uh, a pretty talent laden team, although the results have tended to be inconsistent. And then Michigan state face Alabama is, is an interesting one, especially for some Michigan state fans um, <laughs> because th- there's been this, and I don't fault people for being undereducated. It's that they, they think they're putting two and two together and it's equaling four when it, it doesn't really work like that. Um, Nate Oates, the coach of Alabama who's going into his third or fourth season at Alabama yeah, a I can't remember. Yeah. Um, is a guy who had a lot of Michigan state fans have been interested in because he coached high school basketball in the state. He coached at Romulus um, for a number of years and was a very good high school coach. He had some great teams. He had some teams with uh, guys like Wes Clark and EC Matthews who were really, really good players um, for him at Romulus. Uh, Never quite won a state title, but but was always in the mix. Uh, Went to join, actually, Bobby Hurley's staff at Buffalo, then replaced Bobby Hurley when he took the Arizona State job, had a lot of success, parlayed that into the Alabama gig, and um, it's been an interesting run. Two years ago, the COVID year, he had a great season, and that's when it started to peak. A lot of Michigan State people, thinking, Oh, well, Nate Oates, a Michigan guy, uh, maybe he'll be a successor to Izzo. It will never happen. And I'm not going to go through all the reasons for it, but just understand it will never happen. Some of that is Michigan state to be sure. And the dynamics there. And some of it is the fact that Nate Oates already has a power five job that pays him extremely well, can afford to continue to pay him extremely well. And, you know, he's probably not going to leave Alabama unless he gets fired or unless say Kansas comes offering, you know, somebody at that level, that's probably about it. So anyway um, it'll be interesting from that perspective, but it'll also be interesting because he has kind of been at the forefront of the extreme adherence to modern basketball analytics and what i mean by that is his offense essentially should if they're playing properly result in nothing except three point shots and shots at the rim literally i don't mean emphasizing that i mean that's it and i'm not the biggest fan of it (laughs) to be honest with you i don't i don't think watching Alabama is a particularly aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. That's my opinion. I mean, I guess I'm old enough. I, I think there's still value in somebody hitting an open 15 footer once in a while. And I think it's actually undervalued and by some extreme, uh, interpretations of analytics. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, that's the way his teams play. And so it'll be interesting to watch, that contrast. So we got a good one in that sense um, of these, you know, of these other teams, you know, that were possible matchups. I mean, there are a lot of good ones. MSU saw UConn last year. They're going to see Villanova. We'll talk about in a second, the rest of the non-conference, they're going to see Villanova just before this tournament as part of the Gavit games, Uh, North Carolina, MSU has seen many times over the Izzo's tenure um iowa state it's been a while but that uh that regional final in 2000 was a pretty memorable one and then oregon i'm straining to remember but i don't think i don't think msu's ever faced oregon in the uh in the uh tom Izzo era do you recall a matchup because i don't i didn't look back but Boy,
1: I keep thinking that we were going to match up and we never did in the NC tournament. Like a couple of times we were in the same set of bracket or something. And yeah, you maybe. expected when the teams didn't make it, but you're right. I, I was just sitting here racking my brains So I think, how could we not have played Oregon?
0: Yeah. Too? And we they've played had, most teams, but not, and I don't think. we yeah, played them. They've been pretty consistently good under Dana Altman, who is a, a hell of a basketball coach, um, And they were occasionally very good under Ernie Kent before that. They were a little more inconsistent, but it's not like Oregon hasn't been a serious team that you would see. You would think Michigan state would have seen them at some point, either in the NCAAs, as you're suggesting, or in, you know, one of the many holiday tournaments they've played in, but I don't recall an instance of that. So lots of intrigue in this one. And, and, of course, people remember Michigan State won their bracket in PK-80. Um, right. So uh, they will not be favored to win this one, but that doesn't mean they won't. Uh, Carolina will definitely be the favorite in this in this thing, but um, it's interesting. And then, you know, that, that's only one component of a pretty loaded non-conference in general. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we go then, the uh, repeat, I guess, in some ways, of, of playing on the aircraft carrier again. And November, November 11th, that game got put together pretty quickly, is my impression, within about six weeks or so, uh, to play Gonzaga.
0: Yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah. previous
1: game, matchup was against North Carolina, and that was, I think, 10 years ago, wasn't it? About 20? 20... Um,
0: It was, yeah. Frayvon Green was, played well, on that, 11, that 11. game, didn't he? 11 okay it was the 2000 it was the beginning of the 2011 2012 season sure so, okay draymond that, that year where msu ended up winning the share of the big 10 in the regular season won the big 10 tournament was a number one seed got beat the sweet 16 by louisville but at the point that aircraft game was played, the aircraft carrier rather um nobody knew that expectations were really muted for msu yeah. that season and they lost if you remember played a oh, yeah. very hard fought game against a loaded carolina team but couldn't quite get it done and at the time it felt like okay that was pretty good i remember feeling good about it because they were at least competitive but uh we didn't know what was to come that draymond was going to really elevate his game a bunch of other guys were going to be better than i think people had anticipated and michigan state would have uh Certainly, I think one of the more memorable seasons in Tom Izzo's tenure, even though it didn't end in a final four, which is usually our measuring stick, that was a great season. So um, we'll hope that this this one maybe gets uh, gets us off to a similar kind of campaign by returning yeah. to the aircraft carrier. But Gonzaga will be a very difficult opponent. There's There's no two ways about that. They lost a lot of guys, but you know, Drew Timmy's yeah. back, and they, they've always got guys. So that'll be a tough. Yeah, and that's
1: a, an interesting testament to what's been done out in Gonzaga because Gonzaga was – they was a uh, Stockton was sort of their most famous basketball player, and they'd never been a powerhouse until really the last 15 or 20 years. And so it's for a yeah. school and a small conference, it's really impressive what they managed to do and to have stayed there, to not have left the West Coast Conference either.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, everybody gives Mark few credit, and they should. But that thing really got kick-started by a guy some of our listeners may remember, Dan Monson, who has some MSU connections. Yes. So Dan Monson was the son of Don Monson, who was an assistant on the 79 National Championship team, later went on to be a head coach, a decent one in his own right. But uh, Dan Monson uh, was – the guy who kind of kick started things at, at Gonzaga to the point that he ended up getting hired by Minnesota to replace Clem Haskins. And then it didn't work well for him at Minnesota. It yeah. didn't go and he ended up being fired. But um, Dan Monson's actually the guy who started that NCAA tournament streak that Gonzaga is still on. Um, but give Mark Few credit. I mean, the thing that Mark Few has done is he took that success, which no disrespect to Dan Monson, a lot of guys have had, you know, a, a burst of tremendous success at a mid-major, usually on the back of one or two special players, and then it kind of fizzles out, right? Yeah. Uh, right. It did not, as you pointed out, it did not fizzle out at Gonzaga. It has been maintained and strengthened. I mean, even as recently, we were just talking about the 11-12 season for Michigan State. MSU played Gonzaga in that season and beat them. And Gonzaga was certainly a name brand. They were a recognizable team, you know, frequently a team in the NCAA tournament mix. But they weren't what they are right now. They had another level to get to. And over the last decade or so, they've done that. Um I think the biggest shift is this in that previous era. So say 11, 12 years ago, if you remember, they were really starting to make hay in terms of using international players. And they continued to do that extremely well. The guy who's the current head coach at Arizona, Tommy Lloyd was really the connection there. He had just tremendous International connections in the sport, and so they were able to get a lot of guys from Canada. Um, they had uh, Arvidas Sabonis' son, who's now in the NBA, played for them. They had uh, Ronnie Turiaf from France. I mean, they had guys from all over, and that was, you know, they had that, and they'd have they'd have good American players. Everybody probably remembers Adam Morrison, whose team beat Michigan State Maui one year. Um, yeah. So they had a combination of those things, but they used that to kind of level up. And if you look at them now, they can basically go head to head with anybody. And I mean anybody for a a U.S.-based recruit. And it's not just kids from the Pacific Northwest. I mean, they had the last few years, last couple of years, they've gotten not one, but two lottery picks from the state of Minnesota. They had Jalen Suggs, and then last year, Chet Chet Holman. Um, That's remarkable that they've gotten to that point. And and now, as I say, I think you can, in recruiting terms, if they're interested in a kid, they can stand head-to-head with anybody. I mean, Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, Kentucky. there's, There's enough of a track record now of them having success against major, major programs head-to-head in recruiting that they really don't need to take a backseat to anybody. So it is remarkable that Mark Few took that early success and just slowly and steadily built on it. And as you mentioned too, without the benefit of what we've seen with some other programs where they relocated into better conferences. I mean, the classic example of that recently has been Butler, you sure. know, to go from the horizon to the big East was a big, big jump and it helped solidify that program. But Gonzaga has gone way beyond what Butler has, has been able to do and didn't have the benefit of better conference affiliation.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like in many ways, it's not exactly similar, but it, it's sort of is you look at Northwestern and what They've been a team that was really terrible forever in football. Gary Barnett elevates them in the Big Ten. He leaves for Colorado, and then Pat Fitzgerald comes in, and he brings a level of consistency and um, excellence that they've not. You know, they that now you don't assume it's a win every time you played with Northwestern, which it used to be. They, are of course, are not the same on the national level from a recruiting standpoint that Gonzaga is, where Gonzaga is you know bandied about with just about any five star anywhere uh, that they'll make the list or something and, and we'll talk about one of them today. I think they've been on the list with, uh, or they were, you know, mentioned in the same you know conversation with Kansas and Duke, like you said, with, uh, with Xavier Booker, but, right. uh, anyway, it's, it is impressive what they've done. And I, uh, you know, I think it's a testament to Mark few sticking around and, and probably a wise decision because, you know, you have a good thing going and you've got a nice, you know, carve out in the Pacific Northwest. There's not really great competition for those recruits in the PAC 12 really. And so he saw a situation where you probably aren't going to be able to elevate too much by moving to many teams, other, you know, coaching positions in the country. And so I don't know. That's
0: it. That's it. I, I think, I think you really nailed it. The reason for it is that Mark few has stayed there. If, if Mark few, I mean, look, Butler has been an example of what can happen, you know, and Butler has been a place where a lot of good coach, you know, Fad Mata was there and used success there to springboard to Xavier and then Ohio state. So it wasn't like they didn't have good coaches before, but Brad Stevens was the guy who took them to back-to-back final fours, really elevated it. And when he left, you know, they've continued to have success. I mean, Chris Holtman had a nice run there parlayed that into the Ohio state job, but they've been down a little bit with LaBelle Jordan the last few years. And I think it's really hard to sustain that cut anywhere. Butler, Gonzaga, Michigan state, anywhere when you're, you're cycling through multiple guys, the biggest reason Gonzaga has been able to do what they've done. I think you're right. Is that Mark few has stayed there and credit to him i mean for a lot of years there would be mark few's name would be rumored i remember there were people who thought because John heathcote retired to spokane that uh, and was and was close with few that mark few would be a guy to replace Izzo at michigan state well that was never realistic and i mean mark few's name has been mentioned and i'm sure he's been contacted about multiple big-time jobs that have opened up over the years, I know for a fact Indiana tried to, uh, maybe on more than one occasion, since they've gone through so many guys. <laughs> it's um, possible. <laughs> and and if you told somebody in you know 2002 that the head coach of Gonzaga would be turning down Indiana, people would have said you were out of your mind. But yeah, he he found something that worked for him, and now. You look at it, what possible motivation would there be for him to go anywhere? There isn't. You know, other than maybe the NBA, which apparently he's not tempted by because you never really hear him mentioned with with that kind of move, the way that, say, Brad Stevens was. So yeah, I mean that's gonna be an interesting game. Obviously the environment's gonna be crazy. Um, just as it was for the first one, et cetera. But that, that's only the first of these. Uh, what's a crazy schedule for <laughs> Michigan State?
1: I mean, obviously, we start the tournament championship where we, uh, where this year we're matched up against Kentucky. Yep. Uh, I think of all the teams we play, I think we have. Do we have the best record against Kentucky? Because I think we've only beaten Duke maybe once or twice in that whole in Kansas or um, Kansas a couple, of, might, Kansas a couple of times. I think we have a losing there. record against all
0: three teams, though. Might be Kansas. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to go back and look. They have beaten Kentucky before. Uh, this is going to be a very good Kentucky team, I think, in part because their their star Oscar Tishwebe, um has elect, elected to return rather than go to the draft. Which I think, as much as any single decision out there, is an illustration of how NIL can actually tilt the playing field, so to speak. In, back in the direction of a college team for a certain type of player. And he's a right. perfect example because he's not a sure thing NBA success. Yet in college, he's a dominant player. I mean, Hunter Dickinson at Michigan is another example of this. I don't know that Hunter Dickinson is much of an NBA future. I really don't because he can't move. But in college, <laughs> he's he's a problem. You know, yeah. just way be same thing. So – Kentucky's going to be interesting. It's they once again have a lot of freshmen that are going to be um, important to them. But to have a guy like that, a national player of the year returning, that's that's tough. So MSU is going to have their hands full on that one.
1: And then we have a potential maybe second matchup against when we host Villanova in the Gabby games. Uh, we also, um, well, that's the one that's,
0: guaranteed. that's a guaranteed,
1: yeah. But I guess a, the, the, the not sure thing is we may play them a second time,
0: <laughs> right? The first exactly. time
1: is right, is potential in uh, that PK 85 tournament, and then uh, also Notre Dame would be the other non conference that's that's scheduled,
0: yeah. So the the, the Villanova thing's interesting because this is going to be you know post Jay Wright, yep. um, so th- there's still a lot of talent there, but it's a different era. And you don't know how, especially early. You don't know how it's going to go. So that'll be fascinating. And Notre Dame, you know, MSU had gone forever, a long, <laughs> long time, really without. I guess, well, I guess there had been one matchup with them in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, but it, it seemed like they had gone quite a while without playing them. And then, and then we've seen them a couple of times recently. We saw them in 2017-18 uh, season where they came in fresh off winning Maui and came into Breslin and MSU destroyed them. Yeah, um, Saw them at Breslin again year before last in the COVID year uh, when we still thought MSU might be really, really, really good. And MSU kind of hammered them. So mm-hmm. this one's going to be in South Bend though. So um, it'll be interesting, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's quite, a non-conference there there's there's no doubt about that
1: and we'll almost we'll almost certainly be playing Oakland and uh I would assume we're going to be playing Western because of uh Dwayne Stevens uh, begin being the head coach over there and probably Eastern Michigan wouldn't you guess with Rocket Watts and Imani Bates being there
0: well Rocket Watts is at Oakland uh, oh he's, Oakland. So That's right. will he's see Oakland. him. Yeah. I don't know I don't know if they'll play both of the Mac schools that would be a- the Amani Bates thing would be very interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they flesh it out. Um, but if, if recent schedules are anything to go by, then, yeah, you would assume that there's a reasonable chance. We know they're going to play Oakland. Uh, yeah. Beyond that, yeah, you would assume, you know, both, uh, obviously, DJ Stevens, you would think they'll they'll create an opportunity to play his team. Um, Eastern Michigan with Stan Heath, another former assistant. Uh, that one would seem reasonable. And then there's also always a chance that they play Detroit. Uh, they did it two years ago in the COVID year. Mike Davis, somebody that Izzo has a good relationship with. That's also possible. I don't think they'll play all those teams, but they'll probably play some combination of them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I I've heard people talking about, what a murderer's row this schedule is. And certainly it's difficult. I mean, Gonzaga and Kentucky right out of the shoot, are, are two teams that each will be seen as having a very good chance to be final four caliber this year. So that's extremely difficult. Uh, we don't, I think, have a great feel yet for where Villanova is going to check in. I think there'll be some form of good, but how good, I don't know. Alabama coming off a disappointing season. Remains to be seen how they bounce back. Uh, and then the other two games in PK-85, you just don't know. If you were to get North Carolina in some fashion there, well, that's another Final Four caliber team. You know, and Notre Dame is probably going to at least be some version of solid. So, yes, it's a challenge. But, you know, I think I think this is a year where I, personally – I'm okay with this because they Michigan state's got a lot of guys back. Yeah. And there's, yes. I think it's something that in, in all the moaning and groaning about them, not going out and getting a five man in the spring um, got lost in the shuffle. But when you look at it, boy, they got a lot of guys who have played a lot of basketball back on this roster. And that is a huge advantage in this era. Continuity if you have continuity, that's a big deal, you know, and, I, and now we're not just talking about teams that are one and done late, you know, with freshmen, it's teams that have, you know, a good portion of their roster new via the portal. Um, and I haven't gone chapter and verse with all these teams yet to have a strong feel for that relative to what MSU will have. But I suspect that if MSU has success, navigating this this gauntlet it's going to be in large part due to the fact that they know how to play together yeah i think the team
1: has a lot of maturity you saw that the end of the season i think you started to see sort of come together better and um and i think the, the other encouraging thing about this team that i think can survive this sort of Schedule, which I mean, you got to assume it's going to be a top ten strength of schedule at the end of the season, no matter who they get (laughs) lined up against it in the Big Ten. You know, however that however down the Big Ten might be this year compared to previous years, but you you would expect too that a lot of these seniors or juniors not only have a lot of playing time and experience, but they all felt like they were they were improving still at the end of last season, and so you would expect them to be even better this year. AJ Hogard, Tyson Walker, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, and so I think. I think you have a a lot of hope that they're going to be not only competitive, but have a good chance of winning many of these games, even though um, they may not be ranked highly enough to start the season.
0: Absolutely. And it's a great, again, you know, I, I, I bring it back to um, that, uh, that 11, 12 season. It's not exactly the same team by any means, but um, that team came into the season without much in the way of expectation for a Michigan State team. I mean, people didn't expect they would be horrible, but there was even some question about, are they good enough to make the NCAA tournament? You know, that was definitely a, a question that was out there uh, coming into the season. And you could tell pretty early on with that group that uh, that wasn't going to be a problem. They They showed right away. Uh, that they were going to be, they were going to be good enough to keep that streak going. But then we started to see as the year went on, oh hey, they might actually be good enough to really compete at the top of the Big Ten, and they did just that. This team we'll see, but I think, I think the dynamics there for them to have some success. And by success, I don't mean they're going to they're going to rip through all these teams, but to be competitive, you know, against a schedule of this caliber. I think they I think they've got a very good chance to do that and if it's if it's typical as a team to grow from the experience of playing all these teams right
1: oh absolutely yeah I mean it, I think the one time you worry about this sort of schedule is if your team is so overmatched that you can't really learn anything because you're just getting annihilated and it just and it kills your confidence but if you're competitive and can play close and have chances to win even if you may lose against Kentucky or North Carolina or someone or bill Nova or someone like that, I think that it just battle hardens you and gets you ready for the season. I mean, I guess if you lose every single one of them, then you could say, well, this is a mistake, but th-
0: they're probably going to win some of them. The last time I think they saw a schedule quite like this, at least on paper, and this is getting a little in the, the distant past for some people, I think. Uh, I think it's largely been forgotten because of how things ended, but in the 2002-2003 season, MSU came in with a ton of expectations because they had back-to-back two of Izzo's best recruiting classes, and there was just a lot of talent on those teams. So you had um, a freshman, Paul Davis, a freshman, Mo Ager. um, They had Brandon Cotton, I believe. No, that was the next year. They had Mo Ager, Paul Davis, and Erasmus Lorbeck as freshmen, And then as sophomores, they had um, Alan Anderson, Kelvin Torbert, and Chris Hill. And then they had other veterans around those guys, too. And MSU was very hyped because of the talent, but played a murderer's row non-conference schedule and really took their lumps. I mean, lost a lot of games. That was a year that people were wondering at a certain point, are they going to make the tournament? And they ended up bouncing back, had a pretty good big 10 run and then ended up going to the elite eight with that group. So it shows you that even if you lose these kind of games, you can, you can end up benefiting from it in the long run. I think that team clearly did. By the time they got to March, they were ready to start turning those games into wins. And they did that.
1: The advantage you have in basketball over football is football. You can't afford to have a couple losses in by the end of the season and you can in basketball. And I think because of that, you are, you can be rewarded much more than you're punished by having a stronger schedule. So if you play the Iowa schedule where you play, you know, the sisters of the poor three times in the non-conference schedule, you have, you have to be really good the rest of the season to, um, to make the tournament and things like that. So I
0: I never, I never understand why programs like Iowa or Syracuse is an even better example historically, because they're a better program than Iowa um, why they schedule the way they do. I don't understand it because I, I don't see for exactly the reason you just mentioned, you don't really get penalized. I mean, obviously if you schedule 10 games against heavyweights and you go, Oh, and 10, all right, you got a problem, but yeah. nobody does anything quite that crazy. Not even Izzo. Um, but you just, you, you have everything to gain and very, very little to lose from playing in these kind of games. And I, I don't understand programs that don't do it. it just does not make any sense to me.
1: Yeah. If, if anything, you're at risk by playing all those games, because if you can't afford to lose them, right. If you, if you don't play yeah. one, except you know for Iowa, you're only playing Iowa state is the only guaranteed tough game. You're playing in the non-conference. Now you lose to North Texas or something. Now you're in trouble because now you have to really make a splash in the big 10, right?
0: That, right. And I think, I think the flip side of that has always been for, for Michigan state. My feeling, and it's the same with this year, if they lose a few of these, guaranteed some part of the fan base is going to go on into apocalypse mode. <laughs> but the truth, the truth is the same as it's always been. If they take care of business in the league, they will be fine. That is the advantage of being a member of a league like the Big Ten. Because yeah. you are presented every single night virtually with an opportunity for a quality win. You know? And so if you go through the Big Ten slate and you do your job, you're going to be okay no matter what happened in these non-conference games. So as I say, I, I think it's, for a program like Michigan State, it's it's a no-lose situation. It really is. The only thing that would be a potential negative would be if you worried about your team's psyche being negatively affected by losing. Right. But that's yeah. just not how Izzo operates. He's never operated that way.
1: No. And I think, and I do think too, the makeup of the players, I don't think that would, uh, outside of losing every single one of these games badly. I think, uh, I, I don't, I think they have maturity to, to overcome that. If that absolutely, would happen, if they would have some struggle, you know,
0: he, the guys on this team, even which, you know, the last two years by MSU standards, has not been the success that we would normally expect, not at quite those levels. But even so, all of these guys who are back have been part of big wins against elite teams, at least teams that were ranked in an elite level. They've all been part of that multiple times, as well as losses. So there's nothing here that they won't have seen before. There really isn't. Right.
1: Right. Well, let's talk about, uh, talk a little recruiting and let's kind of catch up on on some Mission Safe recruits. Uh, The one commitment we have from the 2023 class, Jeremy Fears.
0: Uh, You know, uh, we did, obviously our previous episode was our recruiting um, recap. And it's not like there's been anything dramatic that's happened since then, but just to kind of catch people up, this, since we did that episode last week. Uh, was Peach Jam, which is uh, Nike's circuit EYBL. It's their de facto national championship. So some of the, t- not all the teams in EYBL qualify for it. It's kind of like the playoffs you qualify for. But uh, both of MSU's obvious targets that are uh, that are still around. Of uh, well, Fears is a committed player actually. Uh, we're at Peach Jam. Their teams qualified, and Fears had a, he had a triple double in a game. And they say he just—I—I I tweeted this that every step of the way over this spring and summer, Jeremy Fears has just the beat just goes on. He just continues to impress. The last episode we talked about everything he did at um, the uh, under seventeen World Cup. Leading right. scorer in both the semifinal and final, led the team in assists, shot the ball well, defended his ass off. Uh, just every check every a leader, just checks every box. Well, beat goes on. He was great during Peach Jam. Same deal. Scoring, setting up teammates, and and it's worth mentioning that you know the team he plays for, Speace Indy Heat, which is one of the kind of the elite. EYBL programs year in, year out in terms of talent that's typically playing with them. This is not one of their more talent laden teams. There are not a bunch of other high major surefire, you know, top 100 type kids on his team. And so he's had to carry more of a load, but again, he's done it posting. He's had multiple triple doubles in EYBL games this year, which for a six one guard is, is pretty remarkable. And I think more than anything else, it goes to his activity level. He's he's just kind of relentless the way he competes. So Beat goes on for Jeremy Fierce. He's, his season is done in terms of AAU. And so now he goes back to Lelou um, to play his, his last year of prep school ball. And uh, Michigan State fans should have no problem getting uh, views of him because I would imagine it'll be much like any of the last, you know, five or 10 years has been for Lalu, they'll be on ESPN a bunch. So you'll get to see him play. Do you feel like this recruitment for Fears has
1: been a sneaky good one for Izzo? Like he's exceeded probably even what they were hoping for?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I look, he was he's always been a name in that class. And I think he's still a top 50 guy nationally right now. And I think he was there when they signed him. So it's not like he was a really super, super underrated guy. But yes, no no question. Because I think what he's shown this spring and summer is, you know, when they got him, my thinking was, all right, this is another great point guard recruit to put into the mix. And, you know, he can maybe learn early on because he's probably going to be playing with some older guys in front of him and he could develop into a really good player at Michigan state. I really liked getting him, you know, it was a good, it always looked like a good prospect to me, but I don't think you can look at what he's done in the last three, four months and not think that he's continuing to improve and going up a level or two. So I think when you say that, if by that you mean, Hey, might this guy be more than just another good player? Might he be yeah, somebody that is the linchpin of a program, I think you're probably on to something. I think it's going to be fascinating. And this got some discussion a week or so ago on uh, the Spartan mag board. What does next year when he's a freshman look like? And the difficulty here is you can't possibly know, especially in this era, you know, yeah. who knows, but theoretically all of the, the backcourt guys that are playing for Michigan state this year could be back next year. And then you add Jeremy Fierce to that. If that were the case, where would he fit in? And if you'd asked me that six months ago, I would have said, well, he, you know, he'll, he'll play, but it'll probably be more limited minutes and he'll have a chance to break in slowly and they'll try to get him up to speed so that as a sophomore, he's ready to step into a much larger role. Now, even with all those guys back, it's hard for me to imagine this kid not stepping into a major role immediately. I just think he's that good. And and the biggest thing is that the areas in which he's strongest, which to me is defense, playmaking, and just those intangible leadership skills are things that iso eats up if you've got those elements in your game you are going to play immediately you know that will happen and and the fact that he's improving in the area that i think most people thought needed improvement shooting just does nothing but help it further but to me and, and I'm not saying I expect that MSU's backcourt returns intact. I, I would probably lean toward expecting somebody to go from this year's group. Um, I don't know who that'll be yet. I think that's a little premature to guess. But um, but I don't think it matters with him because I think I think he's one of those guys that is just gonna be a, a an impact player right out of the chute.
1: Yeah, I feel like in some ways you almost hope that someone leaves because that'd probably be a sign that they had a very successful season that if someone felt like they could sure. hit sure. off, right? And that they had they were very, you know, had a yeah, great season. Yeah, and
0: it's hard, to, it's hard to know. You know, I mean, uh, you know, a, A.J. Hogard, part of me looks at him and thinks, no, that's a four-year guy, but I don't know. If he has a really strong year, if he shoots the ball better and they have a lot of team success, hey, who knows? Tyson Walker, I don't know. You know, it's hard. It's just hard to hard to feel the. You know, and then and everybody else. You just you don't know. Guys can make decisions to leave that don't even necessarily have to do with turning pro. We have to sure. always keep that in mind. You know, right. Michigan State hasn't had a lot of that, thankfully, but um, you know, it's Julius always Marble. possible
1: right julius marble right. left for family reasons and right. for uh you know do education somewhere else. yeah
0: you, you just don't know but i am glad that no matter what happens they've got jeremy fears coming in because i think he's got a chance to be special no doubt about it and, and that's the thing no matter what happens from here with msu's recruiting the fact that they have him and at that position means it's to me it's already a good recruiting year, right just with yeah. him it,
1: They've got a good cornerstone, right? You've got a good building block foundation to work up on to entice and encourage other kids to come and join him.
0: Right, right. Uh,
1: So speaking of that, let's talk about the ones they're aiming for for that class. Uh, One of them is Devin Royal. We talked about him briefly last time.
0: Yeah. um, And boy, he had a hell of a run, uh, hell of an end to his AAU run. He was also at Peach Jam with uh, All Ohio Red, another great Um, Midwestern Nike program has sent a bunch of guys to Michigan state over the years, as I think we talked about last time, his last game, he had 27 points, 16 rebounds. And, and he was pretty consistently great throughout um, his run at, at peach jam. Um, I mean, this is, this is a guy who really, really, really can get it done. The, The game prior to that, 25 points, six boards, four assists. Um, game prior to that, 21, seven, and two assists. So you you see what's there. Um, I, I still think he, he cut his list to nine schools, which I think we may have talked about in that episode. Yeah,
1: that was probably about four, really. Yeah,
0: right. It's I think it's Michigan State and Ohio State with maybe Penn State having a punchers chance in there. But that's what I would lean toward. Um, no sense of timing yet, but you know, MSU is gonna stay the course. And and the interesting thing was that you know Tom Izzo really racked up some frequent flyer miles because yeah. he was able, despite spending a ton of time in I believe Milwaukee. He still managed to see Devin Royal playing in, I think it was, I think it's in South Carolina. Um was where Peach Jam was this year. So um, he got to see Devin Royal in person as well. And MSU had assistance there. And,
1: and along those same lines, you, uh, Xavier Booker, who I just, he just uh, put out a tweet saying that he'll announce, and we're recording this at three you know, in the afternoon on the 25th of July. He's going to be announcing later this evening at six, he said, his, list of schools the list might be 40 schools it might be three schools we have no idea
0: he's he's actually said it's going to be 10.
1: oh was 10 it's yeah so that's 10. yeah i don't yeah uh, so and you assume with that there are probably like three or four that have um realistic shots and every indication nothing's changed since we last talked last week that michigan state is very well in the mix and and has had maybe the best presence uh at his games and oh
0: clearly beyond debate that that's what i was mentioning he he plays and we may have mentioned this before but you know xavier booker does not play for a shoe company team so you know the big three basketball shoe companies nike adidas and um under armor all have their own circuits that play nike is the one that sucks up the most attention but the other two exist as well and then beyond that There are these, I guess, for lack of a better term, you would call them grassroots organizations that don't have shoe company sponsorships. So, But that doesn't necessarily mean they're small time. Um, Booker plays for the George Hill All-Stars, which is a team created by and funded by NBA player George Hill. Uh, But they are not affiliated with any of the shoe teams. So they play on a circuit called uh, New York to L.A., which is kind of a catch-all of these um, grassroots teams. I I believe, if I remember correctly, um, Reach, which is a long-term, very successful program in Southeast Michigan. I believe they play on that circuit uh, as well. But that's where Xavier Booker's been playing. So what that means is he's way off the beaten path. Route, you know, it's easy for coaches to go see guys who play for Nike programs. You know, Nike Nike AAU teams have a disproportionately large share of the top 100 players in the country playing for them. You know, um,
1: sure. so you're scouting and- for more than one player at the same time, right? It makes it right. More oh efficient. yeah.
0: Yeah, you right. got I mean I look I when I when I've gone to these events in the past that's going to an EYBL event you there were years where I would be able to see everyone that Michigan State had offered you know they would all be playing in that in that tournament and it it stands to reason because you know the dominant program definitely over the last 10 years or so in Michigan is the family which is a Nike team in, based in Detroit you know and then you have the usually the not always but usually the dominant team in indiana is spee cindy heat the dominant program in ohio is all ohio red these are all nike teams and so if you just figure and then you've got mack irvin fire and mean streets both in the chicago area a lot of years that will comprise a good percentage of the kids that msu is interested in are playing for those teams so it's, it's a great, and for coaches, of course, it's great to just be able to go to one location and see everybody you want to see. Not the case for MSU this year because of Xavier Booker. But Tom Izzo saw both games Saturday. I think he may have seen games the day before that as well. Uh, so he was posted up with Mark Montgomery the same way he has been the entire spring and summer with Xavier Booker. So, yes, it's fair to say that nobody has outdone Michigan State's presence, and it would be the shock of all shocks if they are not on that final 10 list. Um, I think I think right now most people would suggest they're the favorite. Now, you know, sure, things sure. are always subject to change, but um, I think the fact that Xavier Booker plays for the team he plays for is kind of an indication – of why Michigan State may be perceived to be a little bit out front. Um, He seems to be a very loyal kid, you know, or why he stayed with Indianapolis Cathedral High School rather than jump to one of the prep schools that's on ESPN all the time. You know, Um, the fact that he has done these things probably bodes well for a Michigan State who's been in it with him essentially before anybody. I mean, the sense I have is they were serious about him even before the in-state big 10 schools were, you know, Indiana and Purdue who are both pursuing him now. But um, I think all that stuff helps Michigan state. No question.
1: That actually is a little tinge. I want to go down for just a moment. You know, everyone talks about Indiana and Purdue. Where does, where does Notre Dame fall into the recruiting uh, mix in the Midwest? Because, you know, the, they've had a, decent program. They're in a power five conference with the ACC. And uh, I know it's a football school in general, but is it, uh, are they really in the mix for many of these players or do they just sort of just kind of limp along or. or, No,
0: it depends. I mean, they've, they've definitely, they've gotten some guys over the years, Um, you know, uh, famously they actually beat Michigan state for a couple guys over the years that Michigan state was interested in go way back um, I can't remember now off the top of my head which year it was, whether it was 05 or 06, but there was a point guard um, from Saginaw, New Zealand named Tory Jackson who Michigan state was serious about. And it was an infamous recruitment because the word was that Tory didn't want to go to MSU because they didn't. And uh, this is a pretty sure this is an accurate full quote. I'm not paraphrasing. Uh, because Izzo doesn't let you get your boogie on. (laughs) And by that, it was, that was understood to mean, oh, MSU is too restrictive. They don't let you play freely, blah, blah, blah. Uh, That was ludicrous. Then it's ludicrous. Now it's versions of that still get said Uh, to be fair. Notre Dame under Mike Bray is um, a little more uh, they're they're kind of, they've kind of been the ACC equivalent of Iowa in a lot of ways that it's all offense, offense, offense. And, and that's the thing, what, what really is the truth about Michigan state is that point guards have a ton of responsibility put on them. And, As they mature and they develop an understanding of things, they earn more and more freedom. Cassius Winston, as a junior and a senior, played with pretty much complete freedom. You know, Denzel Valentine played with complete freedom as a veteran, right? Once they earned trust. The other side of that is you are expected to defend immediately and always. And if you don't check anybody, you're going to struggle. So whatever. Anyway, so they got Tory Jackson. There was another kid more recently named Demetrius Jackson, who I've issued a lot of interest in. I believe he was from Indiana, um, and Notre Dame ended up getting him. So they've had a couple of times where they, they crossed paths, and they've certainly gotten kids from the state of Indiana on occasion, but their net is broader than that, yeah. mostly, I think, out of necessity. Because if you're an Indiana kid, Notre Dame basketball in the modern era is probably your number three choice at best for state school. You know, Indiana and Purdue just are too big. That's not how it used to be. I mean, when I was a kid, like literally a kid, I always, people younger than me have a hard time probably believing this, but you could make a good argument that certainly in the 1970s, not quite in terms of success, but in terms of presence, the closest thing to what Duke has been lately in the last 20, 30 years was Notre Dame because Notre Dame was actually on TV every weekend, national TV. They had a national TV contract that they used to the hilt. So they recruited nationally in a way that virtually no one else except maybe UCLA did at that time. Um that changed. Notre Dame's program did not maintain at that level as the 80s wore on, they got worse and worse and you know, they've been an inconsistent program ever since. But you still see them. They tend to get a lot of kids from the East Coast. They still have a presence there. Um you know, that that whole New England Prep School League, they seem to get guys from uh pretty consistently. Um, so yeah I am with you but they are in the Booker recruitment for sure. They've they've been firmly in that. They recruited him very hard. And he's taken an official there.
1: And you you mentioned uh, that the is stole a point guard. So let's transition to point guards which to our conversation last week where you really I think you set out a very simple philosophy for Izzo now that it's I think hard to dispute that he is after the two two years ago where we struggled yeah. not having a point guard that he committed himself to never have that happen again. And also, I think also to your point where with the air of more fluidity, I guess, with players leaving with transfers and NIL, uh, that it's more important to have the right person, someone that you uh, can sort of mold, so to speak, as a recruit of a high school than to try and bring someone into the program to sort of learn your system. And so the emphasis is on point guards. And to that point, he, I think if my math is right, they just offered a kid who's not even in high school yet, who'll be That's entering right. high school here. In, not for uh, another,
0: not for another month or two. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So he's, he's a eighth grader <laughs> or he finished eighth grade, right? Yeah. Uh, Randy Livingston. And why don't you go in and tell our audience a little bit about him?
0: So he's, I believe he's um out of Florida. He's MSU's first offer. In the 26th class, he will not be the last. That's actually, I'm going to be interested to see what happens in state in that class because there are some guys that, uh, including one fairly close to home for MSU, that have sort of been on the radar for a while. And I'm interested, I'm interested to see how that in state class develops in Michigan. But uh, Livingston gets an offer. Which kind of came out of the blue. He's it clearly seems to be a guy that people are are thinking is going to be a big deal nationally. He's six one, uh, lots of time to grow because again he hasn't yet hit high school. Uh, <laughs> but what was interesting to me is just besides that fact that they were offering somebody that that young, it, and they by the way they're his first offer, so they got in early. Now I'm not clear on what the connection is. There, there must be one, uh, but I'm not aware of what it is. I'm sure it'll, if there is one, that it wasn't just out of the blue, which I find hard to believe that it was. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll come to know it. But what's what's interesting about him is he's the son of a guy who was a big big deal once upon a time. So he's a junior. Randy Livingston Senior was a super elite. Recruit in the early nineties, so he was just maybe a couple years after the Fab Five. I want to say like ninety three ish, um, from Louisiana, stayed at home, played for LSU, and Randy Livingston was the real thing. He was like six four, strong, physically put together, super athletic, a dominant high school career, and then he had knee problems. He had knee problems at LSU. He was never what he was supposed to be at LSU. Still managed to play in like a little over 200 NBA games, despite the fact that he was a shell of what he had once been physically. Uh, But I, I remember him as a name, as a guy that was discussed in the high school ranks, that there was a feeling like he was in, he was of the same caliber as guys who were in that era, like a Jason Kidd. You know that's what he was. He was discussed in that kind of rarefied air, so maybe not a surprise that his son is a big time recruit. But as I say, I'm not yet sure what why MSU got in so early. What the connection is, um, but I'm suspecting there is something. We'll we'll come to find out eventually, and no idea how seriously to take it either. Um, but uh, but at least it's it's fodder at this point for discussion. <laughs>
1: Right. Absolutely. Well, what is, when they, when you're trying to put together your classes and from recruits, you know, they've now offered a point guard 2026 class. So presumably you're not going to, if there's a a point guard who emerges in the state of Michigan or Indiana, who's really good, you, you feel very confident about, you really can't go after that kid, right? I mean, you can't, can't make two offers for point guard position, right?
0: Or is that not true? I don't think that's true. No. And I think if you, well, if you look at the, is it the 20, 25 class I mean here's the thing it used to be that the point guard spot was seen almost as a corollary to the quarterback spot in football where the feeling was well you can't take two in the same class and you maybe don't even want to take them high level guys at least in consecutive classes that's how it used to be Um, that has changed And it's changed for a few reasons. Uh, The obvious ones are, you know, one and done, um, the loosening of transfer rules. Uh, Those are all, you know, both big, big factors in this. But I also think the other thing is we're starting to see emphasis in the sport on having multiple guys who can handle and multiple guys who can create at the same time on the floor so that's another reason why i don't think i don't think kids anymore would look at it and say okay um i mean look at michigan state for example so they recruited uh trey holloman who was a, a fairly you know top 100 guy fairly highly re- highly recruited guard and then jeremy fierce commits in the class right behind him And and they're going after guys in the twenty-four class like Darrell Brooks, you know, who also play the position. I don't think kids are scared off necessarily the way they once would have been, because of how common it has been to utilize point guards in tandem. I think what matters the most is that is not so much, oh, you have too many point guards. It's you just need to make sure that there's some variety in terms of what those guys can do defensively. So when you look at MSU this year, for example, you have Hogard who we know can guard wings because he's already done it. Right. Yeah. Um, That helps because Tyson Walker and Trey Holloman know that they can play with AJ Hogard at the same time. It's not, hey guys. There's one ball, one spot in 40 minutes, and we got to divvy it up among the three of you. Not a chance. Those guys are in various combinations going to play alongside each other, you know, and that's why Fears felt comfortable coming to MSU, despite the fact that all those guys are on the roster, because he knows that they'll be able to figure out a way to get them on the court. Um, so I think that's the deal. More than anything else, is. Do you have enough variety where at least some of these guys that can play point have enough size that they can guard bigger people? And if you've, if you've got that, then you should be fine. You should be able to um, handle multiple guys. But specific to Livingston, it's just so early that I, I can't imagine they won't end up offering other guys at that okay, position. Sure. You know, That would be what I would guess.
1: And I would imagine it's a little bit of a crapshoot too, as far as what, ha- I mean, physically where he ends up. I mean, if he ends up six, eight or something, yeah, <laughs> he's it, obviously not going to be your point guard, right? He'll have to be yeah, play a wing of some sort. If he
0: keep, right. If he keeps growing, you know, you you don't know. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one just because of how unusual it's been for Michigan state to offer a player that young. I mean, they just don't do it very often. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to think of the last one. It, it, Imani Bates. They didn't I believe. offer him though, did they? I think so. I think okay. he had an offer before he started his freshman year. I think so. And the timing might have actually been similar. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'll i tell you this I know Amani Bates was on campus playing in open gyms before he was in high school because I know somebody whose kid was playing in those open gyms who's older than Amani as a high school recruit who played in games with him on campus with MSU's players, you know, at the practice facility. So if he didn't technically have an offer, it was just a technicality.
1: Do you think that the offer is more a reflection of the changing landscape with NIL and transfers, or do you think there's just a, <sighs> some relationship we're just not aware
0: of? It's hard to know. I mean, I, Maybe maybe there's a feeling like, hey, if we get in on the ground floor of this, we can really have a shot. Um, but I, they're not going out and offering a bunch of kids that age. I, I think one, one thing might be that he may have convinced them from a physical point of view, all right, if he doesn't grow anymore, if this is it, and all he does is basically fill out a little bit physically, we'd take him. You know, it may be that, that they're just that convinced, but it it is unusual for Michigan State. They don't they don't do very much of this. Um, so it, it catches your attention based on that. But I'm just not really sure what the motivator is.
1: Yeah, well, I guess maybe time will tell it will. more things will come out as far as how yeah. this sort of happened and transpired. Right.
0: And we'll see if it's se- how serious it is. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for today. Uh, we'll talk probably next week or if something crazy happens, maybe before then. But uh, until next time, the Final Four is not the schedule. Go green.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time.